This is the World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hello and welcome to this episode of a World of Work podcast. We've got something I'm really excited about today. We've got a friend of mine called John Maxwell. He's going to be with us for two episodes. And we're going to be talking about two really interesting things that are connected. First of all, we're going to talk about what it's like to transition into your first role as a chief executive. So that's episode one. The second episode is going to be talking about what it's like to transition out of being a chief executive into whatever comes next. John, welcome to the show. Before we get into the conversation, could you introduce yourself and say a bit about yourself and your background? Sure, James. Happy to be here and nice to be with you live. In, in person. person. Yeah. In person. Yeah. So John Maxwell, my, I guess, grew up in Scotland. I've been lucky enough to have a career around the world. Started as an engineer in the industrial world. And that's really where I made where I made my career. Took on my first GM role in the US. I had a variety of PL, general management, MD, CEO roles over kind of 15 years in various places. Left the corporate world in 2017 and have been spending my time as an executive coach. Had a couple of tries at some little techie startup stuff, which was a painful experience, but I learned a lot. That's where I am today. Brilliant. Thanks, John. And what a rich background in history. Uh, you talked about a variety of senior roles and a variety of locations as well. So I think that's really interesting to, to bring to the conversation. I guess if we think about that first process of the first time you become a CEO and the first time that you, you really step into that sort of more sole multifunctional leadership role, I guess I just wanted to ask as, as an opener, how did it feel the first time you really thought about that or the first time you were asked if you'd step into a role like that? What was that like? So I really remember it well. It was in Connecticut. The global CEO was visiting for our quarterly review. We were at the hotel and he kind of pulled me over. And, and my boss, who was the person that ran the US, he told me, look, he's going to be stepping out and doing something else. We'd like you to, to consider taking on the role. And my first reaction was big knot in my stomach. This, I don't know if I want to <laughs> yeah, do yeah. that, but I do want to do it. And I actually pushed back. So my first reaction was to say, how about we wait for three months or, or how about we wait for six months? And I think that probably surprised them. Yeah, I guess it's a, a fearful, conflicted. You talked about you're not sure you want it, but you do want it. And that, that space of uncertainty must be a, a sort of a common response. You know, I knew that I wanted it. It was just a case of, do I want it now? Yeah. And this kind of, the feeling of the weight that yeah. that has. And you know, it was not a huge business yeah. at that point. It was 100 people. Yeah. But at that time, that felt a lot. Yeah. That felt like a huge yeah. deal. Of course it did. And, and I guess... Do you think one ever feels ready for that? Do you ever feel quite ready for those moments? I think if you're in a bigger business where you see it more often, right, or you your peers are being promoted and they're stepping into bigger roles and you have some connection and discussions around, I think that can help. If you're in, in a business that's a little bit more separated, I think it's a challenge. Yeah. First time it's going to be a challenge. Yeah. 
a fun challenge, but a challenge. A challenge, yeah, yeah. And I guess sometimes we need to jump before we feel 100% ready otherwise. If you think back to that sort of moment that you moved into that role, did you have a sense of who you wanted to be as a leader when you went into that role? And is that the person that you wanted to be by the time you left that role? We'll talk about some of the other roles that I've taken on a little bit later, but that very first role for me, it was really around, I did have a reasonably clear view on what the business needed, which helped. So there was a clear direction. To some extent, there was an acceleration of what, what had been going on. You know, that was quite helpful. And there was a team... There needed to be a few changes, but the team was pretty competent and in place. So it was a steady, a stable situation. Good. And in terms of your approach to your interactions with people, were were you planning on emulating somebody else as a leader? Did you have things that you wanted to change to the way things were done as the way that you worked as a person or anything? Or or what were your thoughts there? Let me talk about the second role that I I came into, because I think that's maybe more relevant to to people that are listening. First role was really about continuing what had gone on. The second time I stepped into a role, it was a bigger role. There was a need to change direction. There was a new team. A number of them didn't know me. I didn't know them. The first thing was to try and get to know the people and understand them as people before plowing into the strategy and how we're going to change things and what needs to happen. So I think my first reaction was, okay, here's the people. How do we get to know each other a little bit so we can have those conversations that are going to be meaningful. So we're not just operating at the surface level and saying what each of us want to hear. Yeah, that sort of move away from transactional and really connecting with people. For you, when you think about your sort of position in leadership, do you think it was important to have a sort of clear moral compass or or leadership philosophy or underlying set of values that helped you be who you were in a leadership role? Yes. I don't think I didn't have those when I first stepped in the leadership role. I think I was the early MD roles. I was really driven by what's our annual targets? Mm -hmm. How do we deliver on the results? That was the driving factor. And most other things were were below that in order of importance. Big change for me happened 2010. I had the chance to go to Harvard Business School. I spent seven weeks in this AMP program, advanced management program, a real privilege to be able to do that. I managed to talk my global CEO into letting me do that and paying for it, which, as I said, was a real opportunity. What that allowed was really the time for a bit of reflection that I'd never had, that you're so busy doing things that you just don't have time to step back. And it introduced all this new information, all these new data sources, whether that was from the program itself or from the 150 other leaders from all over the world that were there. And that was a real chance to see what good looks like, to benchmark yourself against these other people that are running businesses all over the place. And to really think about, to your point, you you mentioned the moral compass, to really spend some time thinking about what are the bits around behavior that make a difference. And what was really interesting about that, James, for me, that was a big part of my takeaway from that. But also for my classmates, it really was a big part for them too. So it was quite interesting that you know all these people are running businesses. We all show up. Yeah, we learn how to run businesses better in the program. But the big takeaway for a lot of us was the piece around what's you know North Star. How do we make decisions? How do we think about the other factors, not just how do we increase the bottom line? 
It sounds like a wonderful experience. And I love uh, the sort of peer-based learning nature of what you speak about there and, and that opportunity to gain insight from different people with different views and different experience. I guess something I see sometimes with people is that they've been successful through their careers and, and they get somewhere and they're fairly certain about what's got them here and they're certain about how to do those things. And then they step into a new place and it feels like there's a need to reduce some of that certainty and to, to recognize that maybe there are other ways or new ways or different ways and to still maintain confidence in your ability to navigate, but to hold on to openness to new things and to embrace some of that uncertainty. And that feels like a, a challenging thing to go through as a person, potentially. You know, you've been such a success, you've got here, you've performed really well, and then suddenly you've got to do different things in different ways, and maybe you don't have all the answers. How does that feel to be uncertain in that? I think it can make you better. Yeah. So I think one of the things you see is where people have moved up within the same organization. They bring that kind of legacy with them. They think they already know what's going on. They're less curious. And I observe they can be less successful in that. Whereas if you're taken into a new context, so you come in from the outside, you don't know any of the people, the ownership of the business or the shareholders may be completely different. It may be a different culture. You know, I moved from running a UK-based business, although I was based in the States and in China, the leadership was you know, UK-centric. I moved from that to a global business that was French-centric. So the leadership was very French. So it was a completely different situation. And I think it, it means that back to my original point, you have to take a little bit of time to think about, well, how am I going to show up? How is this going to work? What do I need to do? What are the things that I don't know? So there's a bit more humility, I think, comes out in those situations. Whereas if you're on a straight line progression through the organization, you know, you're moving up, running a bigger business and a bigger business and a bigger business. I think the risk is that you feel like you know too much already and not take the time to reflect. Yeah, I was at a conference yesterday and, and somebody shared a quote. I've grabbed it because I kind of like it. And I think it's relevant to this. I'm not exactly sure how, but it's a, a quote from Socrates. And it says, to be uncertain is to be uncomfortable, but to be certain is to be ridiculous. And I think there's about stepping into unknown places questions our certainty. But when our certainty is questioned, it forces us, as you sort of alluded, to think about things and really look and find and create and innovate and learn and all those things that feel like they lead to often some better outcomes for us and those around us. I think in bigger businesses, if you're the leader, the CEO, the MD, the president, you're no longer the person that knows the most about specific topics. You're no longer the expert in sales. You're no longer the expert in innovation. You're no longer the expert in operations and supply chain. You have members of your team that know way more than you do about what's going on in the organization. So what does that mean? Where does your value come from? How do you bring value? Well, one of the ways that you bring value is by supporting and connecting the team. The other way you bring value is by translating and protecting, sheltering the team from all those external factors, whether that's shareholders, whether that's the things that are coming into the organization that can cause disruption and allow your team to get on with what it is they do. That can be quite difficult sometimes. Yeah, I imagine it must be very difficult to go from being the smartest guy in the room in your field to 
when you step out of your function, as, as most people progress, you know, from maybe a functional leadership role to a multifunctional leadership role, moving away from a domain that is your maybe domain of expertise, and suddenly being in that space where you're not the smartest in the room, or you're not the most well-informed. And that's not your role. Your role isn't to be the smartest person in the room, because your role is, is those other things that you spoke about. And I guess it feels to me like it, it's probably, for some people, a bit of a difficult personal transition to let go of being an expert in your area and to embrace that space of being dependent on others. How did, how did you find that? Yeah, I mean, I never thought I was the smartest guy in the room, so it was quite easy. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most of the time. Yeah. But I didn't struggle with that bit too much. Okay. What I struggled with was, shouldn't I be doing more? Shouldn't I be busy with projects and have lots of email and, and be doing all these things? What I found was, you're saying the same thing over and over again to different groups of people. You're giving them time to talk to you and you're listening. And when you're listening, you're thinking, am I really adding value here? How am I contributing? How am I getting stuff done? Are we moving things forward here? So you go from really delivering in your previous role to a very different place where you're saying some of the same things over and over again to the point that you think this is ludicrous. Doesn't everybody know? Doesn't everybody know this? And then you ask people and no, they don't know. And really you're asking questions and you're really listening to the answers, looking for insights and trying to understand what does that inform you, where you are on your journey as a business and what are the things you need to focus on? What are the areas that need more attention? What's going fast? What's going slow? So it's a very different position to be in. I think making that transition is a challenge. And the way you describe it, I can imagine moments sort of feeling a little bit empty, right? I mean, if you're used to being really active in a role and, and doing and doing and doing, then your role shifts to something else. I can imagine it feels, like you said, like, am I missing something? What's going on? And I guess, how do you manage that as, as a person? How do you give yourself the assurance that what you're doing is valuable and, and helping you? I think you get feedback from your team. You find out from them what kind of support do they need? How can you be useful to them? Where do they need you to show up? That's one place. Maybe the other place is be connected more broadly with the organization. So be present, whether that's visiting sites and locations, whether that's town hall meetings, whether that's really addressing feedback that comes in all its various forms today, being present in the organization, not just sitting in your office and worrying about the shareholders all the time, actually spending time with the people in the organization, certainly having a balance around doing that. It feels like that presence is an important thing. And I guess that's one of the functions of leadership, isn't it? Is to be that conduit and that visibility. If we think about, I guess, your journey, particularly as you stepped into more and more senior roles, what were some of the other challenges that you faced? What were the things that were really difficult moving into those roles for you? What did you have to do differently or what did you have to let go of that got you successful in those roles? I think that what we just talked about, this not feeling like you have to be driving everything and being busy, busy on those topics. Be willing to step back, think a bit differently. That was the piece that was, um, I think, allowed me to get to a place where I could move the businesses forward. I mean, the biggest challenge, well, there's two. So one was moving to Europe and running a European-centric business having never lived in Europe. And it was a historic business. It'd been there for a long time. Everyone had some really strong ideas about, well, actually, it wasn't very successful when I took it over. And being able to 
bring those people together. I would say that's the number one thing that made me successful, but not me, but made the business successful over the, the three or four years. One way of doing that is creating a common language, creating something that people can get behind. So you can certainly have initiative overload, that's for sure. But I think as a new leader in the business, you've got to stand for something. And one of the things that you can stand for is putting a brand on what it is that you're trying to do and then aligning the teams around that. So in the context of the business that I'm talking about, we kind of rallied around this play to win concept. The businesses had been around for quite a long time. There were leaders in some markets, but there was this kind of degree of victim mentality a little bit. Things are happening to us. Right. So brought them together and really focused around what do we need to be doing to play to win in this concept. Brought 60 people together for three days, really dived into that. Those three days really changed the way that business operates. I still see people from those businesses today. That happened in 2012, so wow. 11 years ago. They still talk about it. I think things like that, events, like if you're willing to invest and give them a try, can make a big, big difference. And in terms of you know, finding the inspiration and navigating through reaching that as a destination for actions and, and things you can do, do that on your own? Do you get support moving into that role? What's that process like of, of getting there? I think you definitely need support. To do it on your own is a challenge. Maybe you get better at it if you do it again and again, but support, whether that's mentor, coach, other CEOs that you've admired or, or come to know through associations. I found that people were very generous with their time. If you call people up and say, could we have a chat about this? I'm really help. Here's the situation. I just, I'd really love your ideas and your opinion. Be amazed how much time people will give you and, and what they'll share with you. So don't be shy. As well as finding a mentor or a coach who you can work with, who you can really have those conversations with. I kind of had three different ones around that time. They helped in different ways. But again, it initially felt a little strange reaching out and saying, I'd like some help as a coach for you to come and ask me all these hard questions. So it felt a little bit vulnerable. Yeah. And then after the first session or two, I'm like, wow, okay, yeah. this can make a difference. Yeah. And I was kind of curious about that. It, it feels like to be successful moving into that new space, as you describe it, you really need to open up to being challenged and be able to listen and be able to try new things. And you talked about vulnerability there. Is there anything you can do or, or thinking about through what you've done? Is there anything that you did that made it easier to let go of the things that maybe held you back from being really in that learning space? Or is it just a, a matter of choosing that to be the case? Is it experience? What helps you really embrace that ability to learn and to feel you don't have the answers? I think for me, it was moving into a new space. Okay. So in other words, I mean, people, some idea about who I am, but I don't bring that, all that legacy baggage with me. I can be whoever I want to be. So I show up, it's the new day. And this is all about me, right? They don't really care. This is just all about me. This is just all about But that's part me. of the growth process, isn't yeah. it, to become a leader? It's about us as people. So this is just all about me willing to just show up and try out some new stuff and willing to be vulnerable, recognizing that I don't know those answers. And I found that much easier to do when I was in situations where, or in new roles, where people didn't know that much about me. Maybe that's because I don't know where that comes from. Interesting idea. Interesting. Yes. It's a curious thing, isn't it? But it feels like for you, moving context and being in a place where maybe people didn't expect you to know the answers made it easier for you to behave, behave in a way where you could be in that learning space. Because as you said, you didn't have that baggage, but it feels like such a, a valuable space to get into. 
as a leader. And I feel that sometimes we think that leaders should know all the answers. But through this conversation, it really feels that leadership isn't about, or at least the styles of leadership we're speaking about, isn't about, it's about something much more and the sort of development journey. And there seems to be a real personal journey to go through as well, to be comfortable in that space of facilitating, enabling, mentoring, helping setting direction and all those types of things. Do you think your sort of appreciation of that as a role of leadership grew over your time in leadership? You know, how did you realize that? No, I definitely grew over my time in leadership. You know, my first couple of MD roles, I was much more impulsive. If people working there or weren't getting things done, I was in the, well, change the people, let's get moving kind of camp and made some terrible decisions back in those early days. I think coming back to the Harvard experience, the seven weeks to really think about stuff, that made a big change in how I thought about leadership. That was, you know, that was one of the seminal experiences for me. Felt like I had more information. I had different ideas. I had, I just kind of knew more. I wasn't just going on what I'd seen before. I wasn't just going on, okay, this is how this is supposed to work so that I'll, I'll just replicate that. I was really thinking about who do I want to be as a leader? What do I want to do? How am I going to handle this? And how do you handle tough situations? I think that you know, that's the other big piece around leadership, that people are looking at you to see how are you going to handle a team member that's really underperforming, behaving badly, being disruptive. Or you know, those ones are quite obvious. How are you going to handle a team member that's quietly undermining the rest of the team, not saying very much, happens to have a part of the business that performs pretty well, so their numbers are okay? So how do you deal with those types yeah, of situations? Yeah, sort of insidious toxicity that, that yeah. lurks in there. Interesting. And I guess one's approach to that emerges over time as you gain clarity on what's right for you as a person. Does that seem fair? It seems like I scribbled down when you were talking about this time at Harvard, I, I scribbled down open and broader and time to reflect and time to grow on yourself. Do you think your sort of approach to those difficult situations emerges over time as you gain clarity on, I guess, your values and who you are? Definitely. I mean, I knew what my values were. It's maybe it's also about confidence. Right. So your confidence to take that stand. Yeah. To say this person might be the highest performing person in the business from a financial standpoint, but we need to talk about this, 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 and this, because these are things that are holding us back as a team, or these are things that really don't line up with the values that we've said that we want yeah. to operate on. Therefore, we're going to have that conversation and maybe we have to change. So I think it takes a bit of time to grow into the confidence to make those calls because many people in the organization will be looking at that call and they'll say, well, why did that person change or why did we change this? Because they were great at what they did. Yeah. And I guess it must feel challenging, whatever level one is at, the first time one faces into a new challenge like that. And that feels like another real developmental step in there. I guess if you think back a little bit to some of those early stages of moving in and preparing to move into a leadership role, what kind of things do you wish you'd done differently at the start? What might you have done differently to help you navigate through that, move to those more senior roles more smoothly? Getting a coach, getting a mentor sooner, exploring the outside world a little bit more, mm -hmm. not just diving into the doing um, straight away. Yeah. I think why? Because I think those things help you build confidence in yourself. Yeah. Confidence in yourself means that you show up as the leader that you want to be with the values that you have, as opposed to kind of replicating or following what's gone before. Yeah, interesting. That's really helpful. One of the things that you touched on earlier that we were speaking about a little bit, and then you touched on there again, is that this sort of making space to be less active 
and sort of more reflective and more investing in your own space to think and things like that. It's hard to do that. If you take on that role, how do you navigate that early on in terms of people appointing you to a role? And, and how do you sort of carve out space and permission for you to to have that space to focus and grow and develop? How do you build that into what's being asked of you in this type of role if you're going to take one on? I mean, in my experience, I was I mean, lucky and unlucky in some ways in that the role was a global role. So I was traveling a lot. So I had lots of Airplane time. Sitting on airplanes. (laughs) So airplane time was, I mean, I used to write pages and pages of ideas and thoughts. For me, it was a space that I could come up with all kinds of stuff. And it was was a reflective space where I could kind of think much more deeply about certain topics. And a lot of those ideas were from planes and trains. I don't know how during the pandemic, Mm. people, CEOs lost all that space. I think a lot of people went stir crazy, didn't they? Yeah, they definitely went stir crazy. But I think also the space where they weren't responding to people, their calendar was full every day. It's interesting, you you speaking a little bit about what I think I'd describe as reflective practice. How important do you think having that reflective practice is for successful leaders? What's your view on that? I think it's critical for sure. If you'd said reflective practice, practice to me 10 years ago, I would have laughed at you. I, mean, I wouldn't have understood what you put. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's absolutely critical to yeah. do that. And it is today, I'm an executive coach, so I spend a bit of time helping people do that. It is a practice. I use the word practice, which means there's a technique, which means you've got to know how to do it. And I think there's a lot in that. People, it's not something we're taught. It's not mm-hmm. something that people put a lot of value on sometimes. It's a little bit of a black box for people. They don't really understand what's there. And I think it is really important. One of the phrases that I hear sometimes in the sort of smaller startup world when we speak to people is there's a distinction between working in the business and working on the business. I feel that as individuals, as we develop, there's probably a difference between working in our role and kind of working on our role and trying to get that balance between doing what needs to be done and getting better at doing what needs to be done and challenging and self-correcting and, and doing that. And that feels like a, a really important space. And I think there's self-reflective practice. I think coaching, I think going to things like your, your Harvard program that give you space are hugely important. So I think it's really interesting to call those, those points out. I think you have to do both. So there's no way you can, anyone that's going to be successful in a senior role is going to do both of those. You know, how much challenge is there for you as the CEO from the board of directors, from the shareholders? What ambition do they have? Do they want to double, triple, quadruple the business? 10x. 10x. Do they want to take it in a different place? Do they want that piece, I think, allows the CEO to spend or have a bit of direction around what is it they need to be thinking about with regard to where the business is going? I think you need that external kind of prod unless you're you're a true entrepreneur it's your business and then you have to do that yourself as a ceo for a business with shareholders and a board you should be getting quite a lot of that direction now some of it's up to you to to push ideas to have your own agenda but a lot of that comes down when that doesn't come down and there's that piece is missing for ceos i think that's where they dive into the business and they came from the business so they know the business that's usually the comfortable place that's where they know how to do things and you see that where you see the class is efficiency and cost versus growth. It's dead easy to come up with a plan to cut people and let's do this more efficiently. That's you know, yeah. It looks great on PowerPoint, 
talking about how are we going to grow sales? How are we going to go to new markets? How are we going to do all these other different things? Well, one of my favorite sections, I can't remember the quotes, but it's from Barbarian to the Gates. Somebody, one of the execs is saying, saving money is easy. I need to find somebody who can spend money. And it's all about how do we spend money well, right? Like, and what a challenge that is. I think that's a a super interesting thing. And again, a, a different sort of perspective on things. And there, when you're talking about working with a board or other external factors that are, that are shaping who you are as an, as a, an organization. Uh, just a little side comment. One of my sort of moments of realization was when I did something with some, uh, you know, an exec at some point. And up to that point, I'd always thought that the execs were the boss. I thought the exec was the boss. I was like, dude, this guy's senior. He's the boss. And then you realize they're just in some ways a conduit to shareholders, to institutional investors, to funders, to regulators. And then they're in this, this sort of stakeholder management role where they're not the power. And, and that's a, it was a really interesting insight for me to realize that the leadership role wasn't about the sort of executive direction all the time. It really involved a lot of those other things that, that you've spoken about. If we think about your journey from when you first became a multifunctional leader to when you moved on, what do you think the skills are that you developed the most over that? What changed in you or, or your approach or capability the most? Over that? Patience, probably. So, I mean, I was, as a new leader, I was much more impulsive what else would have changed in me? Willingness and desire to listen to what's out there, whether that's from the team, whether that's from the business, whether that's from customers, and really try and use that to find the insights that we're going to identify. What are the key levers for the business? So what's important for this business? Is it about how do we grow and enter new markets? How do we change our cost base because we're just uncompetitive and we need to move from here to there? Is it about we want to go through acquisition? So how do we find and target these different businesses? So you have, you know, there's lots and lots of different choices for you to make. It's easy to pick the easy choice, which is let's ask the number of people we have and keep the sales the same because profits will look great. But it's way more complicated than that. And I think as I grew in my role, I was clear on what those different choices were and more willing to take on some of the more difficult ones and some of the higher risk ones like acquisition or enter new markets or double down on innovation, those kind of topics where the risk of them going wrong is high. It's interesting some of those reflections about listening and patience and in my words, not words you use, less activist, less urgency in, in what we do. And as you were speaking, I was thinking about the difference between signal and noise from a statistical perspective. And it's the world is full of noise. And if we respond to every noise, then who knows where we'll end up. But if we make space to try and find that signal and choose the signals that are right for our organization and us, maybe we can we can do a little bit better. And role modeling some of that for your team. So if you're a frantic leader, then the people working in your organization are, think that's they mirror what you do, basically. So you will create a frantic organization. If you're a thoughtful reader, it'll be a little bit more thoughtful. I think recognizing that you do cast a big shadow in those types of roles. That's whether you like it or not, you cast that shadow. If you have a small ego, you cast the same shadow as if you have a big ego. It, it doesn't make any difference to a great extent. So you need to recognize that impact. Did you ever find that it's there's a challenge around your whole self being perceived by others as a leader? Did, like, do you separate yourself as an individual from yourself as a leader when you're in those roles? Is there, how do you manage that sort of combination of being a visible person and being who you are being so influential as a person? I didn't separate them. For me, it was, I, I didn't feel like I could separate them. So I've always 
being someone who is curious about people, likes to connect with people, you know, I, I don't hierarchy and status and all these types of things don't really mean that much to me. I just like to connect with people at that person to person level. So I didn't separate it. I mean, I see a few leaders that do do that for sure. Have little small inner circle of people that really know them and people that are outside of that circle don't have a view. I didn't operate that way. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but that was, you know, that was certainly my approach. I don't know what's right or wrong or if there is a right or wrong in this, but I do get the sense that if you are pretending to be something that you are not in a role of this nature, that that can take a big burden on your self and your well-being. And it's the emotional labor of projecting something that isn't a reflection of who you are can be a, a difficult thing. And it sounds like that's something that you didn't do. It sounded like you were yourself. But have you got any reflections on that sort of projection of a false self as a leader? Yeah, I don't think it's sustainable. So I think that you get found out or it isn't credible after a period of time because people will get to see who you are. So I think you're better off to start yeah. from that point of view. So, I mean, the biggest difference I had in that situation was my last CEO role when I joined a French business. And this is hilariously, or not really hilariously, but, you know, I'm, I'm part of their diversity program, you know, a, a non-French um, CEO in their group. Yeah. So, you know, I was very different than almost all my peers. We'd go to the senior, the annual get together, 12 people in the, in the global business. There was me and I think one other foreigner, everyone else was French and everyone else was male, pretty much. So I enjoyed the bit about being different in the situation because it kind of allowed me to, to be whatever I wanted to be, to be who I was, basically, without feeling like I was going to be judged to some extent. So it actually created quite a lot of freedom for me. Yeah. And that sort of opens up an entire conversation about inclusion. I don't think we'll go down, though I know that you're hugely passionate about it. And creating permission for that is, is really interesting. But I think we'll potentially come back to that as another conversation. I think in the interest of time, I'm going to kind of wrap us up for today. And I guess if you had one or two or three little takeaways for somebody who's about to transition into their first super senior sort of multifunctional leadership role, what would you recommend for them? What are the starting points of advice for somebody who's either just into this role or, or just about to be there? So starting points, I love the way you asked for one and then two and three. <laughs> I'm just giving you space. <laughs> um, set in expectations. Yeah, increase it right away. Is that, is that what leaders should do? <laughs> Pretty much first. That's how it works. <laughs> set high expectations. That would certainly yeah. be one of those things. But no, more seriously, make some space for reflection, whether that's with a coach or by going and doing a program where you get different inputs from different people and you see different things, especially if you're going to be staying in the, in the same or similar organization, dealing with the same people, go get some a different experience that'll give you a little bit of space and a lot of different inputs. That's, that's number one. Number two, if you're really stepping into that, you know, you are the, the senior leader, the, the point about recognize that, you know, what got you there is not going to, what's going to, it's not going to be what makes you successful. So you need a set of different skills that your expertise is no longer the thing that you're trading on. So you need to be filling up that basket with new skills, new collateral that's going to make you a successful CEO. And then the third point would be get to know the people. I spent three years in China. I spent a lot of time working in Asia Pacific and they have a strong notion around before we talk about business, we talk about we get to know the people, who you are, what do you stand for, get to know who the people are you're dealing with. Be curious. Go 
straight in with what are your three top ideas for how we can make more money? (laughs) You're going to get to that question because that is a really important question. But if you want them to actually tell you what their three ideas are, as opposed to what they think you want to hear, then invest a little bit of time to get to know them on a personal basis. So those are probably my top three. So staying open to developing and broadening our our inputs around us, being clear about what got us here, help us succeed in that role and, and finding new things that fill up our basket, as you said, and then connecting with people, getting to know people. They sound like some some great starting pieces of advice. I think we're about to finish. Just before we wrap up, how can people find out more about you and, and what you do? More about me and what I do. So today I work with a partner. We have a little consultancy called SAMSAS. So you can find us at samsas.one. We do team individual uh, leadership development coaching with an inclusive leadership lens or focus all over the place across lots of different sectors. We enjoy working with people that are curious about getting better at at leadership. Brilliant. That's samsas.one and we can share the details when we publish this. So it's just time to say thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Great to do it in person. Wonderful to see you and thank you. Thank you, James. Thanks for listening to this episode. Don't forget, as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that everyone can attend. You can sign up for these and our newsletter, The Wow Mail, on our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io.